much of what I do is focused on intimacy, communication, and connection. Of course, that can sometimes look like having sex with someone, but not necessarily all the time. So much of it is just the ability to communicate with someone, listen, be engaged with them, hear their thoughts and their ideas, share in their dreams and their hopes, and also be willing to support them through the things that stress them and concern them. Welcome to Conversations with Connors, a NetworkWise podcast, and I'm your host, Adam Connors. NetworkWise trains and educates individuals and organizations in the science and art of networking to accelerate sales, personal development, and career opportunities. In Conversations with Connors, I talk with a variety of highly successful individuals in order to gain insights on how they built, maintain, and cultivated their relationships in order to live a life by design, not by default. My guest on this episode is Alice Little. She's America's most successful sex worker. And when I say that, immediate assumptions may come to mind. But her job involves a lot more than sex, and her interests are infinitely beyond the scope of sex. Alice loves interacting with all different kinds of people and offers no judgment whatsoever, nor should you. And she works to help people make their lives better, and her services involve lots of support that doesn't require any physicality at all. That's why she's still been able to have so much success during the pandemic, even when brothels are forced to remain closed. Any stigma you have of the sex industry or of sex workers in general are likely to be lessened or disappear altogether once you get to the end of this episode. So, Without further ado, let's dive right into my conversation with Alice Little. Enjoy. I got to tell you, it is with great pleasure, Alice, that I welcome you to Conversations with Connors. This was a long time in the making. I don't know if you remember, but I, I actually went back to my phone to look at when we had first connected, and it was back in May of 2018, and the goal was for us to do the show in person. That's usually how I do all my shows and our schedules just didn't align. So I guess in years to come when people are going to ask me what good came out of this recent pandemic, I'm going to tell them that you and I made this happen. How about that? I think that's fantastic. I am so, so grateful that we're finally having an opportunity to connect. Gosh, it has been a minute, hasn't it? (laughs) Yes, it has. That is an understatement. So we got a lot to talk about. I mean, so much. And if in my mind, I have this mentally thought about in breaking this down into like three main categories, one being like, who is Alice Little? Another is I guess, what what do you do? What is your profession and obviously sex? And then I guess the third is how has your business and your industry been affected by COVID? Do you have any, do you care where we start or do you want me to just kind of start throwing out some questions? Pick a direction and let's go. I'm ready. Let's talk about who is Alice Little. Well, it's me, I hope anyway. I'm pretty (laughs) sure last I checked. (laughs) Tell me about you. Tell everybody about who you are and what it is that you do. And then what I want to do is I'm going to, you know, I want to learn a little bit more about you as a person. And then I guess get under the hood about your profession. Yes. So I am America's most successful legal sex worker. I work at a legal brothel in Nevada for the past five years now. I absolutely love people. I am one of those diehard people, like I live for that human interaction. And I find that when we allow ourselves to connect with someone without any sort of judgment or pretense, we're able to learn a lot more, not just about them, but about ourselves as well. Other things about me, I am a horse person, avid outdoor hobbyist. I go horseback riding, oh gosh, two, three times a week easily. I also have two chihuahuas, a cute little one-eared cat named Luna, and a mini pig named Wanda. So definitely an animal lover as well. What's a mini pig? Oh, like a, a miniature pig. Granted, she's not very petite anymore. Wanda now weighs like 160 pounds, but <laughs> mini, quote-unquote. 
where do you keep her when you're traveling? So she lives at my friend's place right now. I'm actually in the process of closing on a property that will allow her to live on location with me. All right. Congratulations on that. That's Thank great. You. So what would you like your epitaph to say, gals? Well, first off, I hope that I am immortal until I am proven otherwise. <laughs> but I suppose if we all have to die, I haven't given a lot of thought as to what it would be. Probably something in regards to enrichment and giving mm-hmm. back to others. I'm a big proponent of giving more than you take in any relationship. You should always make yourself vulnerable, available, and be willing to connect. So probably something uh, about that sentiment anyway. Yeah, very much so. Tell me about three things that have happened to you over the past week that you're grateful for. Oh, gosh. Past week one, I am incredibly grateful to be closing on a property despite all of the craziness going on in the world right now. Mm -hmm. It's definitely been a blessing to be able to navigate through that process with relative ease anyway. I'm, of course, grateful for my health. That's something that no one should be taking advantage of now or ever, but especially right now. And I'm very grateful for the fact that I have the ability to do my work online. Not everyone had the ability to make a sharp pivot like I was able to. And as a consequence of that, we're seeing millions of Americans unemployed and suffering. So I'm I'm just very grateful for the ability to work in the way that I do. Let's talk about that. So if you don't mind, explain to those who aren't familiar with what a sex worker does. And then I'd like to talk about, again, what you do, how you do it, the kinds of people that you serve, and then talk about how you've been able to transition. Yes. So when most people think of a sex worker, they have a mental picture of a six foot tall, curvaceous blonde with implants wearing lingerie in a dark, smoky parlor. That's pretty much the exact opposite of who a sex worker actually is. As to myself, I'm a four foot eight, very petite redhead with a very diverse background. And so much of what I do is not sex focused, despite the name being sex worker. Much of what I do is focused on intimacy, communication, and connection. Of course, that can sometimes look like having sex with someone, but not necessarily all the time. So much of it is just the ability to communicate with someone, listen, be engaged with them, hear their thoughts and their ideas, share in their dreams and their hopes, and also be willing to support them through the things that stress them and concern them. Mm. I work with all sorts of people. The only way in which I discriminate is that one must be of legal age to visit a legal brothel. You do have to be 18 and up or 21 and up, depending on the county. Other than that, I see men, I see women, I see folks that are trans, I see folks that are married, folks that are single, men, women, all sorts. And what I do with them is fulfill a need that they have in their lives that they aren't able to meet through their current relationships. And at the same time, I'm also teaching them how to have better relationships throughout the entire duration of their lives. So prior to COVID-19, that looked like setting updates with people in person where we might go to a restaurant and have kind of a first date experience and I'll share with the nervous virgin different topics that are appropriate for a first date. Like, hey, you don't really need to talk about what your desire for uh, children are. Like, that's not a first date conversation. (laughs) Save that for down the road there. Whereas now that we're in this place of social distancing, everything is having to happen remotely, which is a very unique challenge in the communication sphere because so much of communication is nonverbal. It's body language. Mm-hmm. And through Zoom or Skype or these different platforms, we're most of the time getting a head and shoulders view of someone. So it's required a little bit of adapting, some creativity, but I've definitely been able to switch my business to more of an online and socially distance-approved model. <laughs> That's great. It's interesting. So when people come 
to you see you or to be with you, do they know ahead of time what it is that they really need? Or this is something that you discover through the course of a discovery phase of getting to know them? It tends to be a combination of both. I really don't make generalities about my guests because the last thing I ever want to do is have a preconceived notion of who someone is and why they are there before I have the ability to actually meet with them face to face. In my opinion, we all have several different styles of communication and our written form of communication, email, text message, oftentimes varies greatly from the way that we communicate face to face or over the phone. As such, people may articulate one thing through email, and yet when I meet them face-to-face, I come to find that their needs actually are completely different and varied. So I I try not to think too far ahead about, well, what is it that this person is coming here for? Instead, I allow myself to be inquisitive. I want to get to know them. Who are they? What drives them? What motivates them? What are their fears, their hopes, their desires? And what role can I play within their lives? So someone may come to me, let's say a husband and wife, and they're interested in spicing things up in the bedroom. And we start talking about that. And before we start even talking about the bedroom, I'm able to see that there's a breakdown in the way that these two people are communicating with each other, where maybe he's dominating the conversation and she's left nodding her head in response, or perhaps she's uncomfortable talking about sex and is kind of shy and hesitant, and we've got to examine that before we can really delve into the heart of the challenge ahead of us. And what qualified you for this? Because a lot of this is really psychological. I mean, how much of this is intuitive? How much of this is stuff that you've learned on the job? How much of this is stuff that you've just learned about, whether it's through formal education or just, you know, self-improvement? I am. I am college educated. I've got degrees in psychology, sociology, physiology, and anatomy, all two-year degrees, nothing fleshed out to the full realization of a a doctoral degree or anything, complemented with a ridiculous amount of reading and real-life experience. When I was 18, I was very lucky and had the ability to work at the first My first job in college was working at the front desk of a BDSM dungeon in New York City where people would come for different domination or submission type services. That gave me a real insight into the kinds of things that people may be interested in and why they are interested in them. And that experience really was compounded over the years. I was traveling around the country as a sex educator prior to working at the Bunny Ranch. So when I actually started working at the ranch about five years ago, I already was bringing a good five, six years worth of knowledge and experience and history to the table with me. So when people, I mean, I guess now because of your celebrity, it's a little different, but I guess in the beginning, when people are coming to the bunny ranch, how, how does it work? Are they seeing profiles online and they know who, who it is that they're looking to speak with or have an experience with, or do they go there and they have an opportunity to sit and have like some kind of preliminary conversation with you and whomever else might be there? Like, how, how does that work? How do you get chosen or do you choose them? So there's a few different ways in which guests are able to meet ladies. <clears throat> The first is simply walking in through the door without an appointment. When you walk in through the door, they will hit a little button or a bell that is going to call all of the available ladies to the front parlor. It lets them know, hey, we have company. At that point, the ladies are going to stand in a line and introduce themselves by name, and you will then have the ability to walk over to the lady you're most interested in, take her by the hand, and then tour the facilities with her. That tour inevitably concludes in her bedroom where you will then have an opportunity to discuss services or you could then return to the parlor and instead choose to connect with the second lady. Some guests choose not to do a lineup at all and instead they'll say, no, 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 no lineup. I just want to go sit at the bar, get a drink. And in that scenario, the ladies will then approach you and get to know you and then invite you back into the bedroom. Mm. The other way, and this is the way in which I meet my guests, are through appointments where 
someone's going through the website, they see a lady that catches their eye, they read their bio, do a little bit of background research and come to find, wow, I'm very interested in her and I really want to get to know her. They'll then send an email in advance of their date wanting to know, hey, are you going to be available at this day and time? I'm interested in setting up a booking. Then there's a few emails back and forth, and then that date is confirmed with the ranch via a 10% deposit, which is kind of just a placeholder. It lets the lady know, hey, yes, I'm serious. Yes, I truly am coming to see you. Yes, I'm willing to put my money where my mouth is, which is much appreciated. Then, of course, the lady and guest will meet on their chosen day. She'll take them on a tour, and then they will return back to her room where they'll have that conversation about services. So this is like a, an experience. This isn't just, hey, let's go have sex. Like this, Oh, this, goodness, this, no. No. So what, what kind of time frame are we talking about here? It depends on the person. Yeah. Some folks that are just stopping by for a quick drink may spend an hour at the ranch. Others who are interested in services may spend a couple of hours with the lady all the way through an entire weekend. So... Yeah, so like, like what you talked about is like going to lunch and having a conversation and getting to know people. Is that just because of where you are in your career? So those are the kinds of things that are happening to you? Or could that just, if you were there in the parlor when somebody happened to show up and it just turned into a weekend, so you kind of weren't able to make any plans? Or is it all of the above? It really, it's all of the above. <clears throat> Most of the time in my experience, if someone is planning out a prolonged experience, something that in our world, we call it an out date, where you're actually leaving the ranch property and going to dinner, watching a movie, going for a hike, going and staying in a local hotel, exploring a casino, traveling down to Vegas together. Those kinds of experiences usually require a little bit of a pre-prior planning. Mm -hmm. And so folks who are interested in those sorts of activities trend towards setting up an appointment first rather than just walking in. However, just three summers ago, we had a young fellow who won big on the lottery, came through, grabbed four random girls out of lineup and took them down to Vegas for three days. Oh, sounds horrible. The worst. So <laughs> terrible. So then what do you do with your poor animals, though, when you get one of those that come through? I hope you got some backup to take care of them. Oh, yes. I'm very fortunate. I do have a local pet sitter who is only a text message away. I'm able to contact her anytime I need, even super short notice and go, hey, can you take care of the kiddos? And she'll come in and take the dogs for a walk, check on Luna, make sure that everyone is happy and healthy. All right, good. I'm very happy about that. So, you know, it was really interesting. You talked about the importance of communication, and I wholeheartedly agree with you. Actually, my business is all about teaching people about communication and connections. It's a little different than yours, but but a lot of the same principles apply. And one of the things, and I don't know if you're familiar with the formal term for this, but you pretty much touched on that, is something called Moravian's Rule of Communication. and mm -hmm. Or maybe you heard of it as the 738.55, where mm -hmm. you are. Yep. So 7% of your communication is the words that you use, how articulate you are. The 38% is your tonality. How are you delivering those words? And then that other 55% is body language, which it sounds like you've just become a, a pure expert on picking up on. I wouldn't necessarily say I'm the world's leading expert on body language, but I certainly have picked up a thing or two over the past 10 years. <laughs> so how much of what you're doing is pure sex versus more like emotional or uh, psychological or whatever it might be? It's really funny about that same percentage applies about 7% of what I do is actually sex focused sessions, the majority of which involve some aspect of sex. Sure. But it's a lot more than just that. Think about it. If you're spending a weekend with someone, there is a very real physical limitation to just how many times you can do it yeah. in the course of 48 hours. As such, there's going to be plenty of other things happening. You're going to have to eat and sleep. You're probably going to shower at some point. And so there's lots of these little intimate moments that I'm lucky enough to share with people far beyond what happens on just a mattress. I love your perspective on things. Share, like words that you're using that are 
they're powerful and meaningful. Has this always been your perspective or is this something that you've just grown to really appreciate? I came into this profession with a fairly clear idea of what I was hoping to provide as a service. However, I don't think I realized the impact it would end up having on my life. I was initially thinking it would be me going in and doing all these wonderful things for various people. And I never once thought that my life would be made better for the enrichment, the stories, the lessons, all the experiences that my guests have had and then shared with me. So that's really been kind of eye-opening for me is kind of realizing just how much I've grown as a person too. All right. So you just said two things that made me drew two questions. Uh, number one, I guess, what are the spectrum of your services? And then I guess the second question is you said that you're learning. I'd love to hear, what have you learned? What are your takeaways? Yes. So the types of services I offer range from friendly to frisky is the way that I like to phrase it. <laughs> so we can sit down and have just like a simple Skype date where we are sharing coffee, getting to know each other, talking a little bit about dating and sharing of information all the way up to, hey, I've never gotten to witness this sex act. I'm really curious about it or I want to participate in it. How do we make that happen? And then it's a little bit more intimately focused in those regards. Of course, previously to uh, COVID-19, all of my services were primarily happening in person and I simply didn't have the time to dedicate towards an online presence. Whereas now meeting face-to-face -face really isn't an option. And so my services have changed fairly dramatically. I, I pretty much had to do a complete business pivot in about two weeks time in order to get through this crisis. So now I offer Skype or Zoom dates where we can start with nice dinner, go for a walk, share a picnic, all the way to mentoring and helping couples get through this pandemic without getting a divorce on the other side of it. Because it's real tough to spend 24 hours with the same person every day for months on end. Like most people don't spend that much time with their spouse. That's just the reality that we live in. We are not connected so thoroughly. So any sort of relationship troubles are kind of being magnified by the crisis too. So I've kind of stepped in to help people reconcile some of those challenges. Other couples are wanting to spice things up. They're swingers. They're used to having multiple sexual partners and they're left feeling without right now. And so I'll participate in a virtual threesome, which has been really entertaining. How the heck does that happen? It's fantastic, I'll tell you. It involves Bluetooth technology and really cool sex toys. Huh, okay. Yeah, it's, that's one for the books. That's a, a, got my curiosity with that one. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's some really cool sex tech, but I, I could get into that for hours on end. I'm a giant nerd when it comes to sex technology. I, I'm also doing a number of YouTube reviews of different sex products, so I'm getting to hold and see all the latest and sex tech, and it's just real interesting what's coming along. Anything in particular that you recommend that's hot or trendy these days? Oh, I would say right now for long distance couples, get yourself something that is enabled through Bluetooth and or Wi-Fi. This way your partner can interact with the toy right through their phone or through the internet. And they can actually like control it in real time what the toy is doing and how you are being affected by it, which is really neat. Wow. Are you able to give a company a plug right now or you'd rather just refrain from that? I'm trying to think who's got part of the problem right now is that due to COVID, almost everyone is out of stock of everything. <laughs> it's like kettlebells for gyms. <laughs> oh my God. It's impossible. <laughs> there, there's been like a real crunch. A couple companies I can think of off the top of my head. We vibe in particular makes a number of toys for couples that are really, really nice, high quality. Lilo has some really interesting products in the work. A fun factory, they're out of Germany. They tend to have the newest features for toys. So if you're looking for something that's very unique and different, that's going to be the place to go to. There's, oh God, there's just countless options. Oh, but, uh, 
as to the other part of your question, as far as how I've kind of grown as a person, I've learned to never take people at face value. I don't make preconceived judgments about things anymore. I used to be the sort of person that would want to have a good grasp of an under like of the situation before I walk into it. I tended to be a bit socially anxious and maybe a little bit more quiet than I needed to be very observant of my surroundings and wanting to gather information before putting myself out there. Whereas now I feel very comfortable kind of jumping in with both feet. I love meeting new people. I love new situations. I almost look up into zero details now when I go to do something. Whereas previously, if I were taking a trip, every minute of every day would be road mapped out exactly where I'm going, what route I'm taking, how many minutes Google tells me it's gonna take to get from point A to point B. And now I kind of allowed the experience to happen to me. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I've got to assume though, with whatever the experience is though, that you have to be the alpha in the situation. Not necessarily. One of the many services that I provide is related to BDSM. I am what is known as a switch, which means I am comfortable taking a top side or dominant role or a submissive or bottom side role. I'm very comfortable with either one. Of course, there is lots of conversation around consent, and there is an entire negotiation in regards to the activities that will be occurring, what the safe words are to establish parameters, but not necessarily am I always the dominant one in this situation. In fact, for some guests, it's very thrilling for them to be able to step into that role of dominance. Interesting. So what are the kinds of things that people share with you? I mean, it, it, it's really just this gives me a different perspective of what you're doing. Again, not just sex work. That just happens to be the title because, but it sounds again, more intimate, more personal. Not that sex oh, isn't, but it sounds like people are sharing more with you and probably giving you more information than they're giving their significant others if they have one. Mm-hmm. That actually makes me think of a, a very specific situation. A married couple, unfortunately, the wife miscarried fairly late along, and it was very tragic, heartbreaking after a very long struggle with IVF. And she struggled with finding her body acceptable. And so she had this idea in her head that there must be something wrong with her body that it wasn't producing a baby, that it started to impact the intimacy in their relationship in all aspects, everything from their time together in the bedroom to simply having breakfast in the morning because it was such an overwhelming and pervasive concern that it was just lingering in the back of her mind. And she wasn't sure how to share with her husband about this. How do I communicate to him these feelings of insecurity that like, I don't feel good about my body and I don't want to have sex. And I'm afraid that if we have sex and I don't get pregnant, that it's somehow my fault and lots of like internalized stigma and shame and just real big things that have to be reconciled with. Oh. And is she the one that seeked you out or was it him? He initially had reached out to me just saying, Hey, my wife, she was pregnant. It didn't work out. So we're like going back in and she doesn't want to have sex and I don't know why and blah, blah, blah. And so I'm like, all right, cool. I'm hearing the concerns on the first level, but that's literally the tip of the iceberg here. Mm. And there is a whole Titanic's iceberg worth underneath that. <laughs> yeah. And as the conversations unfolded, I, I would set up um, sessions either with him or with her privately and separately, as well as sessions together over Skype. So this way they each had a moment to discuss things that they necessarily weren't ready to bring to their partner in an environment that was safe where they were allowed and permissive of, of sharing these very intimate details. And mm. of course, I don't reference any of my guests by name. I don't reference any situations without consent. I specifically have her permission to talk about this because her hope is that other women who are struggling will kind of hear the story and have the realization for themselves that, no, you're not broken, you are okay, your body is beautiful the way it is. Mm. How do you make people feel comfortable with you? 
And is there any advice that you can give to other people? Because, you know, again, what you're doing, people are sharing with you. People are getting naked with you. I've got to think that you, that this is quite an important skill set for what you're doing. So I'd love to hear if there's things that, that you're doing that you can share with the layman that they might be able to do in their form to as they communicate with others. Yes. One of the big ones is vulnerability. Our American society in particular has trained us that vulnerability is not sexy, not professional, and isn't something that is to be shared with others. I completely and utterly disagree. If you are running late to a meeting or something because your dog got out and you had to chase your dog up the road for five minutes because he wouldn't come when you called, don't say, oh, I had a flat tire. Be vulnerable. Take the moment to actually share that little life anecdote because when you make yourself vulnerable and you show that you are human and you have flaws and you are imperfect, it makes you real. It makes you tangible. It makes you someone that they can relate to. That's so, so, so important is to never hold yourself on a platform that you're, oh, I'm trying to impress somebody. Bro, you're not impressing anybody. <laughs> let go of the ego. Let go of that preconceived notion and allow yourself the opportunity to be vulnerable when it arises. I love that. I try to tell people that their ego is not their amigo. It's not like number one reason, and I have heard this from countless women, number one turnoff is too big of an ego. Well, what about you? What's your favorite type of client? And I guess, do you have repeat clients or is this, are you seeing more like one and done or? Oh gosh, I have all sorts of different relationships with my guests. I have some that come for a specific moment. For example, a virgin is coming to lose their virginity. That tends to be we meet, we have our experience, they go on their merry way. Maybe they text me a few follow-up questions, dating questions, advice questions, but we only see each other that one time. Whereas other guests, we absolutely do have an ongoing relationship where we're connecting and communicating, oftentimes through either text message or Skype, and then setting up bookings in person throughout the year, which is really enjoyable. As to my favorite kind of clients, oh gosh, it's really hard to say <laughs> that I have a favorite. I love people so much, and the varied nature of people is something that I find very attractive about this line of work. Yeah. Let's go with intellectuals. I love intellectuals. I love people that are knowledgeable about a particular subject or category and wanting to share that with others. I think that's a very attractive quality. And I also love learning. So mm. anytime somebody wants to get into the nitty gritty of like, how the mechanics of solar gliders work. I'm totally here for that conversation. That sounds great. <laughs> so, all right, well, let me ask you this then. How, I can't imagine that you're attracted to all of your clients. So how do you get over some of the lack of attraction? I believe that every single person has qualities that are attractive and qualities that aren't attractive. It's what you choose to focus on in the moment that is going to direct what your response is. So let's go ahead and say, I have a guest who has opposing politics. In my personal life, that would probably be the sort of turnoff where oh, I don't necessarily know if we're gonna be long-term compatible. In a professional relationship, however, politics don't really factor into the types of connection that we're going to be having in this moment. And so I'm able to choose to overlook qualities that I may not necessarily find attractive in that moment and instead focus on the fact that, hey, this is a person that maybe has different conservative or whatever the views are, but they're also a very caring person who's doing art therapy with young children and volunteering their time and their experience to connect with kids on the autism spectrum and give them a new medium to communicate through and using drawings and paintings. That's incredibly attractive. That's a wonderful character trait. I find that to be very admirable. So I can absolutely overlook someone's personal politics and instead focus on the aspects of them that I do appreciate. I love that because that which you focus on will grow. 
So mm. I, I think that's excellent. So you mentioned a couple of times about COVID and I'd, I'd love to hear more about how this pandemic has affected your business. And then I want to start talking about the Bunny Ranch. I, I have so many questions with, with, with this. So if you don't mind, just give a quick overview of like how, how this has affected your business. How one day, all of a sudden, you couldn't meet somebody in person, so you had to go online. When did the epiphany come? Like, holy shit, I need to change the business. Like, this is going to be here for a long time, so I need to either evolve or die. And then what were the steps that you took? Well... It's important to note that this is the first time in history that the Nevada brothels have ever been closed since their opening in the 1970s, including the AIDS epidemic. The branches remained open through the entirety of the AIDS epidemic because of the availability of testing. Of course, this epidemic go around is a little bit different. Hmm. And as Mm -hmm. such, it did did require the the Bunny Ranch to close to in-person services. And we received about 48 hours warning as to, hey, this is going to be it. I started strategizing almost right away. Like I, I kind of feel like I rolled out of bed and hit the ground running in the sense that I knew hesitating and flip-flopping back and forth and taking a bunch of time to decide what to do wasn't necessarily going to serve my main objective, which is I need to figure this out fast and make something that is functional, sustainable, and also realistically profitable because at the end of the day i need to think about the fact that hey like every other human being on this planet i too do have bills to pay (laughs) so i first took a look at my current online offerings and started to expand the platforms that i already have figure raise the floor before you raise the ceiling so patreon i stepped up and started a new program since folks were going to be at home called the Tri-Team, where I send out a new toy in the mail each month, along with a 10-minute how-to video, so this way people have something to do during their off hours. It ended up being super successful, completely sold out of memberships, had to turn around and import a whole bunch more toys because I ran out of the first lot of things, which was great. And once I felt that I had optimized all of my existing online presences, I then started to adapt my in-person services to a virtual platform. I started by writing down a list of what ideas I had, just all of them without judgment, anything and everything that came to mind, and then started to siphon through about which ones were actually possible and started going through the list and crossing things off. And I was really only left with like two or three true solutions. First being OnlyFans, which is a very new platform, which is quite exciting for sex workers in that it gives a larger percentage to sex workers than any previous clip or cam website, which is fantastic. Second, I looked into how could I connect with people in a way that fulfilled their emotional needs during this time, both intimate personal, emotional, all the different things that people were being affected by. And then I worked on a marketing campaign to share the news of these new services with my guests. I had previously built up a pretty nice sized email list for myself and reached out to folks through that email list and said, hi, here's what I am doing through this. Here's how you can show your support for me. And Here's the types of things I would like to be able to do for you during the pandemic to benefit your life and make your COVID-19 experience a little bit more easy breezy. (laughs) How'd you know how to do all this stuff? The internet, Google, Udemy. Udemy is a good one. YouTube. YouTube is great. Anytime I don't know how to do something, I just Google it. How to make mailing list. What's the process? What does it look like? Okay, so I can use this thing or that thing. Okay, so I can download a template here. And oh, okay, so this is the size of the graphics here. How do I resize a graphic? Whatever it was that I needed to know knowledge wise, it was very okay. Well, I guess I better uh, figure out how to teach myself. So I've learned a little bit of graphic design, a bit of marketing, online strategy, search engine optimization, all sorts of different skills that I didn't have previously. Interesting. Now, were you able to leverage any of the relationships of people, whether it's clients or friends that, that advised you, or this is strictly... Some people offered with certain aspects of things. For example, I had my YouTube channel go down at one point in time, and I reached out to a guest that just so happened to work for Google who was able to internally escalate the problem and 
get my channel restored a little bit quicker. But by and large, I tend to be fairly self-sufficient when it comes to like the actual practical how-to things. Gotcha. So sounds like you're extremely resourceful and you were able to get on your feet. What about your comrades? Some of the ladies have chosen to pursue online options to continue in sex work. Other ladies have returned to school and are finishing up degrees or continuing with degrees or starting new degrees. Some ladies are taking this as an opportunity to take some time off for themselves. So I'm really seeing all sorts of different effects in my colleagues. Some are leaving the industry entirely as a result of this, where they're now choosing to enter a new phase of their lives. And there's no right or wrong way to go about responding to a pandemic. And so I certainly don't want to say, oh, how terrible they left and they quit because of this whole crisis. It forced them out. Like, no, it's very understandable. It definitely is a choice, especially given the fact that we pretty much were slapped in the face by the government, despite the fact that we're perfectly legal and we pay our taxes. Yeah, let, let, let's talk about that, actually, Alice. That's something, because you were, are you set up as a W-2? I'm assuming now you're an LLC, but how are you when you're with the Bunny Ranch? So the Bunny Ranch employs the ladies as independent contractors. Okay. I had already established my own S-Corp, Mm-hmm. And so how it would work is that the ranch technically would then pay the S-Corp and then I pay myself out of the S-Corp via that whole process, which yep. God's all bless my accountant set all that wonderful stuff up for me. <laughs> okay. So let me ask you this then. Were you able to get PPL money? <laughs> no. We got nothing. We got a big fat middle finger from the government. Uh, but you pay. Taxes. But you pay taxes. Oh, I paid six figures in taxes. Oh, do I pay my taxes? That's yeah. I have a lot of feelings about that. Wow. The government took a Clinton era clause that excluded any and all adult industry businesses from PPP or SBA loans. We were excluded from everything. So that's part of the reason, too, why a lot of the sex toy companies are struggling with inventory right now is because guess what? Guess who didn't get any money from the government to help float them through? Oh, wow. All the brothel workers, all of the entertainers, go dancers, Sex toy companies, manufacturers, distributors, and wholesalers, no one got anything. What about the bunny ranch? You know, I've got some really upset feelings about that. I found out about a week ago that the bunny ranch essentially used a shell corporation to receive money. Wow. So do you then go back to them when things open up again, or do you stay independent? Well, unfortunately, the legal structure in this country is such the only way to legally work as a sex worker is through a Nevada brothel. That's currently Mm -hmm. the only state that allows for brothels, of which there's about 20 different locations. How many remain on the other side of this, of course, is to be determined. Huh. And then would you, you know, have you, do you have any aspirations of owning your own one day? I mean, it sounds like you've got the clientele. Absolutely never. I would never want to own a brothel. In the past, I said I did want to own a brothel. But over the past five years, my opinion of that has dramatically changed. And here's why. Legalization isn't necessarily the be all end all answer for sex work in America. What we Mm. actually need is decriminalization and legalization. We can't just have a party system that allows for rich brothel business owners to take 50% of the workers' money because they have no option to work otherwise, which is the customary cut that all the Nevada brothels currently take. It's really upsetting to me because there are no options for true independent work that are legal. The ladies have no choice but to work through one of these locations. And if you're a man, forget it. If you're trans, forget it. If you're non-binary, good luck to you. It's very limited. And I have to acknowledge that I am ridiculously lucky and privileged to have the success that I have had within that legal environment. But it would be foolish 
of me to not acknowledge the fact that there is a huge sector of sex workers, the majority of sex workers that are not being served by the Nevada brothels. That's maybe that, that's, that's going to lead. Wow. In this country, if that the, the rest all happens independently and unfortunately in a, a very criminalized environment, which shouldn't be the case between yeah. adults, in my opinion. Yeah. So that's just going to lead to abuse. That's what's going to lead to disease. That's what's going to lead to just all these other issues that give this a bad name. Mm-hmm. Whereas if we decriminalize it, destigmatize it and create a system that allows women to get tested. I say women, I really should say sex workers, because I just don't want it to be for female sex workers. I want this to be for all sex workers. There's got to be systems in place that allow for testing, tracking, kind of similar to the way that the porn industry does. They have a talent testing system online. The workers go in, they fill it out, they go to their local location, they do the test, the results get loaded up there, and then they're able to select who those results get shared with, specific agencies or other talent. Yeah. It would be just as easy to build a system like that for legal sex work. Why is that not an option? All right, it's because unfortunately, this country still has a lot of stigma to overcome when it comes to intimacy. Yeah, I guess I know instead of owning the brothel, I think that I'm going to see you in politics one day. Have you thought about that being in your future? I've definitely thought about it. I think I would probably serve in the role of an organizer more so than a politician. I'm not necessarily interested in getting in bed with politics directly, but communicating with influential politicians, policymakers. It's something that I've done very much so over the past couple of years, and I'm really looking forward to be able to continue working on. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that you'd be such a good ambassador, I, I whether it's just your passion, whether it's your level of articulation. I'm, I'm assuming you probably know a few people, too. I hope you don't cross that off. I think that's something that the industry could really benefit from. Well, um, thank you. Thank you. Welcome. I really appreciate that. Tell me about some of the sacrifices that you've had to make to be where you are today. Well, first... In order to do this full time, I had to relocate across the country to Nevada to be able to do so legally. So it determined where I live. Mm -hmm. Additionally, because of the fact that there's a, a very strict testing schedule that's based only in Nevada, it limits how much I am able to travel because I need to be in Nevada on Wednesdays to be able to go through the testing process. I can't just pop Every into Wednesday? an outside lab. Every Wednesday is a weekly test as You're required. E yeah, even, if you, even if you wanted to go on vacation, say you wanted to take a month off, that's... Oh, I absolutely could. But in order that to then return to work, I would have to go ahead and... Wait a week, I guess. ...re-doctor or travel to the location to doctor and then wait for the results, which takes 24 to 48 hours. Or if you go on a Friday, it could take as long as Wednesday or uh, Monday for the results to come through. And it made it very difficult to travel. So if I wanted to take time off, what I'd usually do is have to plan it to be exactly six days of travel. So I'd be returning in time to doctor on Wednesday. Oh gosh, gosh, that's, that's a lot. I'm sure. I'm sorry. I cut you off. Were there, were there other things that you've had to sacrifice? Some friendships. There definitely were some of my friends that did not see eye to eye with me on this career and the fact that this is not exploitative, that this is very consensual, that this is a choice that I am making of my own free will and volition. I'm certainly not trafficked. And unfortunately, some people were unable to overcome the differentiation between what sex work is and what sex trafficking is there's a very real difference between those two yeah, yeah, I think that's a shame i'm sorry that you've had to deal with that sometimes the you know best investments are those you don't make so if those relationships there would be a lot of time that you'd have to put forth into those relationships and if they don't reciprocate then i'm, I'm, I'm sorry that they didn't work out but i think it's ultimately to your benefit well, thank you. It's all a part of life. We grow as people and the hope is that we surround ourselves with like-minded individuals that are also growing. Yeah. Like, don't. I don't know. I just feel like we're very much so the product of the people that we spend our time and attention with. And so I'm very careful as to what 
I focus on who I'm talking to, what kind of influences I'm inviting into my life and anything I don't want in my life, I don't invite into my life. Good for you. I love Jim Rohn, who is, I think, Tony Robbins kind of like mentor once said that you're the average of the five people that you spend the most time with health, wealth, all those things, everything. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm with you now, but don't people realize that we need sex, right? Do you agree with that? I believe so. And I would say Maslow's hierarchy of needs says so, which is a pretty well relied upon psychological piece of evidence. But, you know, I'm just a casual sex worker over here. So, I mean, I might be a little bit skewed in my perception of what I believe to be a need, but I've gotten to see the very real consequences that affect people when their intimate needs aren't being met, whether that's actual physical penetrative sex or that emotional closeness words of affirmation getting to be held that physical touch whatever it is that somebody so needs to fulfill that intimate need that sexual need when they go without it it absolutely has a negative consequence so to me that says it's pretty essential Yep. <laughs> what do you think are some of the biggest misunderstandings or maybe it's misconceptions when it comes to sex one of the biggest misconceptions when it comes to sex is that sex is over when the man finishes. Sorry, buddy. That's not the, the ending point of sex. At that point, you should then roll over, communicate with your partner and find out, hey, how are you feeling? Is there anything else you want to explore? It's not just about your personal pleasure, but also the pleasure of your partner. Another misconception is that sex is supposed to be quiet or sex is supposed to be loud. Sex isn't supposed to be anything other than what feels right to you. So to look to porn or something that you've seen online and say, oh, that's what sex is, probably isn't the world's greatest example. A lot of people think that sex starts in the bedroom and it doesn't. Sex and intimacy start outside of the bedroom and inevitably come into play in the bedroom. So like what's going on in your relationship outside of the sphere of sex is absolutely going to impact the quality of sex you're having. If you're very communicative with your partner, you're open, you're explorative, and you have this great exchange happening back and forth, you're probably gonna have a wonderful love life. However, if you're more reserved, quiet and held back, probably not going to be quite as successful. Mm. Have you ever, or are you familiar with the term sexual surrogacy? Yes, very much so. So can you educate those who aren't? Yes. So uh, there's a few different models of sexual surrogacy, but essentially it distills down to a provider or a qualified individual that is going to be connecting with an individual sexually, typically through a therapeutic type model, where everything is going to be broken down step by step. This is particularly useful for those that are on the autism spectrum. This is useful for survivors of sexual abuse or any sort of sexual violence. It gives an opportunity to reconnect to the active intimacy without necessarily establishing that long-term relationship. The nature of the relationship is very therapeutically grounded most of the time. Hmm. I mean, have you worked with people like that need these types of, that need the surrogacy? Mm -hmm. I do have a number of guests. I particularly mentioned guests that are on the autism spectrum as that's kind of a, like a, a minor specialty if you want to use that word. Mm -hmm. I feel very drawn to and connected to individuals that are neurodiverse. I enjoy the way that they think, the way that the world is processed. And that tends to carry over into the bedroom as well, mm -hmm. where the communication in the bedroom is a little bit different. The active sex is a little bit different. Sometimes there's sensory processing issues that need to be overcome in order for sex to be enjoyable. For example, one guest I have is very uncomfortable with soft touch. They only want deep, hard pressure touch. They don't like fingers tracing over the skin. That's like a sensory overload. Mm. But they wanted to overcome that and find out how that could feel pleasurable. And so we use some exposure over time to get their body more and more familiarized and comfortable with the sensations. So do they tell you that ahead of time or you're like figuring out like trial by fire? 
sometimes people let me know in advance. Other times they're not really sure and they just have kind of an idea like, hey, this is what I'm wanting to work on, but I don't really know how help. And at that point, I'm able to sit down with somebody and kind of battle plan with them and go, okay, here's what I am hearing. And in my experience, this is what's going to be most beneficial to you. Does that sound about right? What thoughts do you have? Let's collaborate on this. Mm. I was wondering prior to having this conversation, what's water cooler talk like at a brothel? Like in a lot of other industries, like I've been in a bunch of different industries and there's certain quote unquote water cooler talk about like what we do, whether it's sales. Oh, did you make that sale? Or whether it's about insurance, were you able to get that type of coverage or whatever it might have been? That's what you talk about. That's just, that's the common bond that you have as colleagues. So what's the water, that quote unquote water cooler talk at the Bunny Ranch? Well... We don't gossip about guests. That's not a part of the culture. We don't talk bad about people. We don't judge people behind their back. There's no, oh, that guy had a real tiny, like, no, get that out of your head. That's not what's happening. Most of the conversation tends to be centralized around like work practicalities. Hey, Victoria's Secret is having a sale on lingerie. Hey, there's this really cool new sex toy I got. Did anybody else get this email from so-and-so about this specific inquiry? Okay, cool. So somebody sent me an email asking if you're going to be here on these specific dates so we can do like a two-girl encounter. So it tends to be more focused around those sorts of things. Gotcha. Okay. Is there anything that's, I guess, weird to you? And I should Not say really. quote, quote unquote weird. No? Okay. No, I'm, I'm very accepting. I, I don't judge people based off of their fantasies or fetishes. So long as it's happening between two like-minded consenting adults and no one is being harmed, there are no children involved, there are no animals involved, and it is all consensual, there's very little that you can do in the bedroom that I would probably find problematic. Like, good luck horrifying me if you have my consent. <laughs> yeah, well, what happens then? I mean, have you had situations where you're like, okay, this is going in the wrong direction. You said that you're four foot eight, you're petite. What do you do? Or I've got to assume in all these years that you have an experience or two that's going awry. It's usually just a, a conversation around like, hey, remember how we talked about not picking me up without asking first? So like gentle reminders of things. But there usually is a conversation that happens before any quote unquote services or intimacy happens. And during that conversation, we're also talking about things like limits and boundaries, expectations, things that they want to try. So we both have an idea as to what's going to happen next, as well as, hey, these are the things that are off limit. Being particularly petite, many guests have the fantasy of being able to pick me up and then have intercourse with me. Fantastic. Not a problem. But if you're going to do that, here is how it is done. It has to be done from the couch, not over the hardwood floor. In case you drop me, I don't want to break my head. That's really unsexy. <laughs> like no one wants to deal with that scenario. Yeah. <laughs> and then well, what about the situation where you, you're talking about like a dating experience? I mean, you must get people that kind of, not that you're not enjoying the experience with them, but people that then feel that you're closer to them than you really are. How do you handle that? I use the concept of bounded intimacy, which is something that is also used in the psychology field, which is the feelings and emotions that we are sharing in this space are consensual so long as they remain within this space. This is the constraints of this type of relationship. And so long as the boundaries of that relationship are respected, we're good to go. Within that, however, we can discuss all sorts of things. For example, some guests enjoy the concept of love. They want to be able to say, hey, I love you. And they want me to be able to say, yes, I love you too. So we'll talk about that. What does love mean? What does that mean for the two of us? How are we defining that? What is the nature of our relationship? And I really do believe that with quality communication, you can set up almost any type of relationship that you're interested in. Well, but it's all about, I guess, managing expectations and, you know, creating those boundaries ahead of time. Mm -hmm. 
And I just think that's important, not just for me, but also for the guests that I'm not setting them up for failure either, because I want this to be a pleasurable, enjoyable experience for both of us. Do you have any experiences that get requested more often than others? The primary service that I'm best known for is the girlfriend experience or GFE, where I very much so am stepping into the role of being someone's girlfriend. I care very deeply for them. I'm interested in how their day is, their hobbies, their interests, dinner together, all sorts of different things can kind of comprise the GFE. I kind of hate the idea that we call it the quote unquote girlfriend experience. I almost feel like it should say genuine friend experience instead of girlfriend experience because it just feels like a very raw level of authenticity that is very rare outside of the sphere of sex work what about do you get any sexual requests that are that seem to be that you're getting more often than others there's there's your standard things your two girl encounters your first time kink encounters role play encounters one in particular that folks tend to reach out to me for is bdsm education learning how they can bring kink into their relationships in a way that is safe sane and consensual gotcha what was the best advice somebody ever gave you best advice that somebody ever gave me was don't read the comments section Just, hey, you do your work for you. You create your content for your audience. And those who are interested in your message are going to find your message. Don't devote energy and attention to naysayers and negativity. That's not going to actually serve you. Yeah. Who's had the biggest impact on your life? Oh, it's so tough to say that it's like a single individual because I'm so tempted to be like TED Talks. TED Talks are the individual that have had the biggest impact in my life. Any ones in particular? I'm a a big TED Talk person. Oh, God, so many like the neuroscientist who talked about the process of what what she described as uh, losing her mind and then regaining her mind. I thought that one was particularly fascinating. There's been ones on uh, motivation and the concept of uh, how we motivate ourselves and what motivates us and how that varies from person to person. And how can we harness that and use it? Gosh, there's just, oh, there's so many. You, you know, I'll tell you, I'll tell you one that I heard again this morning. I said this morning, I've lost track of days and times. It could have been a month ago, but uh, you reminded me of it. And that was when you talked about Maslow's hierarchy. I was listening to, I think it was Angela Duckworth and she's the person that's best known for grit. I love but, her. but uh, yeah, yeah, she's fantastic. But you know, what was interesting that I learned from her is that Maslow's high, you talked about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It, it was never built as a pyramid. So someone just kind of took his needs and they put it into a pyramid <laughs> Yeah, but that was not his. Uh, so I, I was something that I thought was really interesting. Thought I'd share. <laughs> so I see that we're we're running out of time here. I got two more questions for you. Mm-hmm. First, if you had that most memorable sexual experience, I'd love to hear that. And then I got one other question. Well, if I have to pick a most memorable, I would say it would probably be the guest that was returning home from. Afghanistan after losing both of his legs and losing most of the sensation in the lower half of his body due to an explosion. While he was going through the process of recovery, his fiance left him because she was bound and determined to have children and he no longer was functioning in that capacity. And then both of his parents passed away within a week of each other, all at the same time while he is going through the physical therapy recovery. And so... By the time that we finally were able to connect in person, there was just like this most tremendous release of emotion. I I mean, it was like, I'm kind of struggling to put words to the feeling of it, but it was just like, like this baggage, this release where it was like, okay, you can take that deep breath now. And then we spent the next day discovering what does intimacy look like for him with Mm. his new body? What feels good? What doesn't feel good? How is this going to work? How do we redefine the act of sex that never actually involves penetration? And by the end of it, we just had the most amazing time. It was really wonderful. 
It's really hard to say that there's like one that really rises to the surface because there's just been so many moments. Yeah, but that's a good one. I'm going to give you some, uh, give you kudos on that one, else. <laughs> so I'm conscious of your time. I could ask you questions for an eternity, but I'd like to ask you one more before I let you go. And that is, what question have I not asked you that I should have? Or, or I guess if you were interviewing Alice Little, what would you have asked? What can people at home do to show their support for sex workers? Ooh, there it is. See, I knew I had to ask that question. It starts by the removal of sex phobic and sex worker phobic language. Whore, slut, taking these things and turning them into negativity. That's got to stop. That is a very simple thing that every single person can do is stop sex shaming and stop degrading sex workers. Then the other thing that people can do is reach out to their local politicians in support of decriminalization, especially now, especially right now. Governments are looking at new solutions to problems. And right now we're gonna be in a giant freaking tax hole. I mean, we need money real bad. What better way to get more money than legalize a billion dollar industry and tax it? That sounds like a real good solution to me to a problem. <laughs> I agree. So so what could they do? Like, like walk people through the, because everyone, the idea of this, I'm sure everyone that's listening right now agrees. They see this. You're a great ambassador. You really explained. You've educated on giving a bit other insight into how the industry works. So I'm assuming everyone that's listening, if they're still with us right now, they're in. So walk us through. Is it a letter to a congressman? Is there a website? Like, let's try to make it as easy as possible for, for yes. those to, to move forward. Yes. Letters to congressmen tend to be quite effective, but not nearly as effective as it is to pick up your phone and actually call them. Prior to the pandemic, I would say if you live in a capital city, go and meet them in person. And post-pandemic, please do set up a time, talk with them, have this conversation. But do your best to get them on the phone and encourage them to support decriminalization, to do research as to why it is beneficial. There's a number of different organizations that have put out real quality information. SWOP, S-W-O-P dot org, I believe is their website. They have a ton of information. SWAN is another organization that's in support of sex workers. And you can pull literal phrases and paragraphs right from their website and kind of use that as your guidepost. And then in the spirit of websites, what's yours? Oh gosh. Well, my website is thealicelittle.com. And from there you can find virtually any and all information about me, my services, things that I'm doing, things I'm creating, etc. Great. Have, is there a page on your site with this kind of information, not just your services, but just to support the industry? to make it easier for people or is that just uh, too much? I, I don't have a dedicated site to it, but that is a fantastic idea to put a page up there for sex worker support. I purchased a URL fairly early on to the pandemic and set up a website. Actually, it is called sexworkersupport.com. And that's more so based off the financial resources for sex workers, which of course I do encourage people donate to any one of the applicable funds and support sex workers through this crisis since many received no protections or options at all whatsoever. Gotcha. Okay. Well, let's everybody is listening. Please do that. Support Alice <laughs> and support the rest of the workers. Alice, I want to thank you. This has been a lot of fun. It's been extremely enlightening, and I really hope that everyone that's listening has gotten as much as I did. Thank you. Oh, thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Conversations with Connors, a network-wise podcast. If you or someone you know is looking for a career change, building a business, seeking to expand sales, or is just generally interested in improving your overall health and happiness, then head on over to networkwise.com to gain access to a plethora of resources to help you build your networking skills and community. Those who are ambitious will network. The ones who succeed will network wise. <laughs>